Um, we've been working our way through uh, 1 Corinthians, and it's, I think, five weeks, and we've managed to get to um, chapter 3. And um, my endeavour this morning, well, my first thought is that we might actually do the first nine verses, which would sync very nicely with the um, studies that we've been doing in uh, our home groups. But what I thought is I might just look at the first four verses. And Liz, if you can pop them up there and we might... Sorry? That computer again? I don't know. No, no, no problem. No problem. I can... That'll do. That's, <laughs> that'll do nicely. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Even though... No, hang on for a second. No, no, that's... Uh, no, no. Is that the first slide? That is uh, where one of the passages, that's the passage that Lil spoke on. There we go. <coughs> Don't you love technology, eh? The good part about it is that uh, on, on visits to places uh, around the world, you don't have to worry about this. You just get the Bible out and read the Bible, right? And you don't have to go, right, anyone fix the technology for us? Okay, so Paul writing to the Corinthians says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, he's talking about his first visit, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people, I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. <clears throat> I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You were jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? A good question. A number of years ago, Robin and I... Um, when our kids were living at home, actually. So we all headed off to Canberra um, just to spend a few days down that way. <clears throat> and um, so I gave uh, Robin the street directory. It was the, the first mistake I ever made on that trip. And I, I truly knew we were in trouble because she was looking at the directory upside down. And um, if you've ever been into Canberra, of course it's round and round the merry-go-round, isn't it? So the more we went around, the more frustrated I got. Can anyone relate to this? <laughs> I really just got more and more frustrated 
And of course the kids in the back picked it up very quickly that dad was going to lose it at any moment. moment. And I was just about to lose it. I really was. I was trying to drive the car and give me the street directory. I'm trying to read the street directory and and, uh, drive at the same time. And Robin actually cut in and, uh, and, and took me to task about my childish behaviour. I, I still remember the words she said, and I quote, You are pathetic. Why don't you grow up? <clears throat> I don't know why you're laughing. I wasn't laughing. <laughs> I was pathetic. Anyone that knows me knows that I'm not pathetic. No. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I'd like to say that that was just a one-off event. <laughs> and, but I need to confess to you all that's not the case. I know that women are absolutely hopeless. Oh, no. <laughs> Liz is about to leap up and throttle me at this point. <laughs> no, no, what happened was, um, you know, we upgraded our car and we've got a, a sat-nav now. So, you're already there, aren't you? So, never put your sat-nav on in Darling Harbour. <laughs> it has no idea whatsoever. So, I've had many a good discussion with my sat-nav and this poor woman who's giving me instructions. So what's that got to do with today's message? Well, totally nothing. No, no, it's got, uh, uh, hopefully, it's a little bit of an introduction that talks a little bit about how we need to grow up spiritually. And the Christians at Corinth, well, they had their fair share of problems and um, that just pointed just to their spiritual immaturity and they were divided over the preachers and you know we saw that in the very first uh, uh, sermon and we're still seeing it and and really the division and the pride and the lack of love is the is is the very pot from which everything else just grew out of and so they were divided uh, over their preachers and and their social status, they were abusing their spiritual gifts and they were proud that in, a, in their midst was a sexually immoral person. Um, as you recall, a man living with his stepmother and they were taking one another to court, um, suing one another in front of unbelievers And we'll get to that a little bit later on. But that was what was happening in Corinth. They were known for that. Um, uh, You know, there was slander, so people would take people to court. And at some time, there would be a thousand people listening to a case. They just loved it. But that just showed you what Corinth was like, a little bit of a thumbnail picture, sexual immorality, strife, um, violence, um, uh, you know. So unbelievers were, were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were doubting his resurrection. 
And if there was ever a bunch of Christians that needed to grow up spiritually, it was uh, the brothers and sisters in Corinth. And so we're going to look at those first four verses this morning. And so I wanted to, you know, sort of put a title on it. And I, I just called it Substandard Saints. So what do I mean by substandard? Well, the word substandard means unsatisfactory. It means second rate. It means below par. It means inadequate. And Paul uses similar words, doesn't he? As you read the scriptures here, he talks about being worldly or mere infants to describe the spiritual condition of the believers in Corinth. So but it doesn't matter what label you wish to use, <clears throat> whether you use um, substandard or worldly. The issue for Paul was a very deep one, but it wasn't a theological one. Okay, That's what I want to leave with you first. It wasn't a theological issue. In other words, they were um, very capable of receiving in-depth teaching. I mean, the great, one of the greatest teachers of all time was their pastor for 18 months. And so he taught them. And so they received some very in-depth teaching. Rather, for Paul now, his concern was the lack of progress in their spiritual lives, which was reflected in their attitudes and behavior. So we're not talking now about a theological immaturity. What we're talking about is a spiritual immaturity and there's a big difference. You can have all the degrees you want in theology, but if you're spiritually immature and that is reflected in the way in which you live and relate and your attitudes and your unchristness, then that person is spiritually immature. Do you get that? Okay. So last uh, two weeks ago, Lil preached from this particular passage in 1 Corinthians 2, 12 to 14. Wonderful, wonderful message. And so Paul's saying what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given to us. So here we're talking now about revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit on how we are to live and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. It talks about us as Christians, us as well, a congregation of God's people. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Holy Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. So here we have Paul really nailing it for us that this is not a, all about theological um, understanding, but rather it's something that has come from the Holy Spirit, taught from the Holy Spirit, and it all has to do with the way we might live, we live and reflect 
um, the Lord Jesus Christ. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So knowledge won't get you to heaven. Knowledge about God and about Jesus won't get you to heaven. It's the revelation to our own hearts and spirit about who Jesus is, what he accomplished and achieved on the cross, and my acceptance, your personal acceptance of that. That is what will bring you into heaven. Okay. So in this passage, um, we see that there is a natural person and a spiritual person. Well, let's first of all talk about the natural person is one who sees spiritual matters, but especially the message of the cross's foolishness. And we've spoken about that already. They just see that as completely undesirable, meaningless, of no relevance to them whatsoever. And so, pardon me, Um, Paul in chapter 2 and verse 12 uh, says, For the message of the cross is foolishness. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, on the other hand, so that's the the natural person. On the other hand, the spiritual person is someone who through the message of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit has come to salvation. And Paul describes them as having received not the spirit of the world but the spirit who is from God. So when you and I and you know this, came to know Christ, we were given, we received from God as a free gift, his spirit and his spirit lives within each of us. Now the problem with this contrast between the natural and the spiritual person, I think, is that it passes over another group of people. And... uh, I think there's actually a third category. There's the, the spiritual person. The third, oh, sorry, there you go, I received God's spirit. The third category is what I have called substandard saints. They are saved, but they are still living a consistent, right, consistent worldly lifestyle rather than living in the control and power of the Holy Spirit. So let's describe them as substandard saints. And there are three things for us to look at this morning from these verses. First of all, Paul now is talking to toddlers. Okay, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritually mature people. 
I had to talk to you as though you belong to this world or as though you were infants, children in the Christian life. So worldly Christians are babies. That's what Paul's saying here. They're babies. And when first uh, Paul came to Corinth, he had to speak to these pagans, these idol worshippers, these people who had no idea who Jesus was. He had to speak to them as those who belonged to the world. Now, that's the same, isn't it, for you and I. When we are sharing with, Jesus, uh, sharing with someone the gospel, we don't immediately jump into um, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't immediately, <coughs> immediately jump into the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or you know, of the Trinity. You couldn't do that. So what do you do? You speak to them with very simple language, don't you? Because they don't know anything. And even if they do know something, it's, it's often just so far off key. It's, it's you know, it's, you, you just got to start from the very beginnings of things. And a simple message, a simple word. So this is what Paul was saying. Remember, he said, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come with eloquence. I could have if, you know, if I wanted to, but I didn't. I brought a simple message that was what? Empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that the people's faith in coming to Christ, their faith would not rest in, wow, what a great preacher. Man, alive. We've got to come back next week and hear him. No, they, they were absolutely um, changed, challenged, and, and uh, their hearts were open because the Holy Spirit began to speak into their hearts. And that's how you came to know Jesus. The same Holy Spirit spoke powerfully into your heart and opened your eyes. Oh, of course, you might say it happened at this meeting or that crusade or it was this speaker or that speaker. But your faith doesn't rest in that speaker. It is in the Lord Jesus. All of a sudden you saw him and fell in love with him. And so it is that um, Paul is saying, that's how I came to you, uh, Corinthian brothers and sisters. And so now he's been away for a while. And he would have expected uh, three years, that over three years he would have seen progress. That these infant Christians were now mature Christians, grown up in their faith. Um, but instead, he sees them uh, still as babies. And when I was preparing this, I thought of his words to the Galatians. Oh, that Christ would be formed in you. Must I go back? This is Paul to the Galatians. Must I go back and keep you know, saying the same things to you. When are you going to follow wholeheartedly 
Christ and live wholeheartedly for him in the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can almost hear the frustration in his voice. And so he speaks about um, being in Christ. And I think for us to do that, I've got to go back. Doesn't matter. Um, Paul is talking about what it means to be in Christ. And that little phrase has uh, intrigued me. And so I sat with it for a little while and did some reading. Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me. So Paul is saying that God acted in a way to put these new believers in Christ. He kind of wraps us up. Let's see if I can get... There we go, sorry. It's because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness holiness and redemption. Sorry if I'm bringing a little bit of confusion to you here. That little phrase, in Christ, is the one that I want to talk about there. So, to be in Christ is, for me and for you, it's got to be the most um, unimaginable privilege we could ever have. It's to realise our new identity, who we are in Christ, which is meant to motivate us and, uh, and for, to leave our old way of life and begin to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this new identity? It, we are righteous in Christ. We are Holy, positionally, we're holy. You may not feel holy. You may not even feel righteous. And we are redeemed. This is who we are in Christ. If, who am I to say how God would look on, on us this morning? But let's just um, put something hypothetical out there. If God was to look at you this morning, he would look at you through the eyes of Christ and all that Christ did and achieved for you on the cross and he would see you as righteous. In other words, you are in a right relationship with God this morning. Not by anything that you have done, but because through faith in Christ, God has imputed to you, given to you, the righteousness of his Son. So you're in a standing as of Christ to the Father. And so also the holiness, positionally, we're in a, in a position of holiness. Ephesians, Paul talks about that uh, we are holy in uh, Christ. And also, we are redeemed, purchased back to God 
through the most precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's how he would see you. That's how he sees us this morning. This is our new identity and our new identity is meant to motivate us to live for Jesus, to bring honour and glory to him. All that I do, all that I say, the motivation of my heart, all motivated out of my new identity. Wonderful, really. But even though these Christians are treated, Paul is saying, that's who you are, even though they're treated as being in Christ, Paul calls them worldly and fleshly, infants, immature. So what does that all mean? Well, first of all, it means that a deep, consistent spiritual walk with God doesn't fall out of the sky. Okay? When we're converted, it just doesn't happen. When you and I became Christians, the Holy Spirit invaded a territory that was fully occupied by an enemy. And so the Christian life is one of warfare. The Bible tells us that the inner life, my inner life, your inner life is a battlefield and I don't have to tell you that, you know that. Right? But for the sake of going through this word of God, let's just, you know, tick the box again and have all of us say, Amen. 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 How do I overcome this? And so there's a battlefield where there's sinful desires clashed with the desires of the indwelling Holy Spirit. I know that. You know that. You sense that. When there's a pull to sin and to our own self-centeredness, you know the Holy Spirit, you know that he's going, no, 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 no. But we're saying what? Yes, 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 yes. And he's saying, no, 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 no. And sometimes we say, no, 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 you're right. And sometimes we say, yes, yes, yes. There's a battle going on within us. And it shows by whatever uh, decision or choice that we make consistently whether we're actually being controlled by the Spirit or our own flesh. So Paul to the Galatians says this, and this is uh, the good God's Word translation, which I think is really good. Live your life as your spiritual nature directs you. Amen. Amen. If you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit... And, and we are being tra transformed into the likeness of Christ, then that's how we're to live. Our spiritual nature of love and forgiveness and kindness and patience and joy and purity of life and holiness. That's our spiritual nature. We, we weren't like that, but we are now. 
by degree, by degree, by degree, because the Holy Spirit's changing us. We all haven't arrived yet, but Paul's saying, live your life as your spiritual nature directs you. Then you will never follow through on what your corrupt nature wants. Struggle, battle, conflict. And that's what we um, experience every day. The NIV translates that. So I say walk by the Spirit. And the meaning of the word walk in that verse 16 is to make progress. (laughs) That's all. Let Let your conduct be directed by the Holy Spirit or make progress in your life by relying on the Holy Spirit. So let me just transition that a little bit and and let's see what it means for you and I this morning. So if I'm wishing and if you're wishing to measure the degree of your progress, you can do that by looking at whether you or us, we are living as our spiritual nature directs or as our fleshly nature directs. And the encouragement this morning is to look to Christ who defeated Satan and to the enabling power of the Holy Spirit so that we can overcome the, um, the flesh, our own desires. If you live by our spiritual nature, then our lives need to conform to our spiritual nature. Okay. So Paul, that's a passage out of Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So these dear Christians um, were still on milk. They were being fed milk, not solid food. And so that's the next thing we need to notice. They couldn't eat solid food. That doesn't mean they, they couldn't eat further teaching or in-depth teaching. My goodness gracious, I've sat as a very immature um, believer and I've heard some really in-depth preaching and gone, wow, that was really good. You're still able to take that in, but it's the living of it out is the big thing. It's the living of it out. And so uh, Paul said, you, you just, you, you're just going to have to live on milk. I had to feed you with milk, he goes on, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you're still not ready. So after all that time with them, he would have expected to see evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in in changed lives and Christ's likeness in their relationships and their attitudes and conduct. But what was happening is that they were taking one another to court. There was slander, there was strife, there were arguments, there was abuse, there was all kinds of things in the church and and Paul's got that should not be. Live 
according to your spiritual nature. And that won't be as a congregation of uh, of God's people in Corinth, you'll know his presence and his power and his peace and his joy as you love and serve one another. But instead, um, they, just, they just haven't got it. And so he's frustrated. So naturally, after three years, he was hoping to find uh, greater evidence of the work of the Spirit. So what does Paul mean by milk and, sol- and, and uh, solid food? And what is it that the Corinthians still lack that makes them unable to digest the solid food? Well, in verse 3, it gives us the key to that answer. Um, For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people in the world? Jealousy and strife, are you still not worldly? Are you still not in the flesh? And I'm sure it didn't go unnoticed by you that the evidence of of you know, fleshly, uh, immature uh, life, a life in that baby stage is what? Jealousy and strife. You think he could have picked something a little bit more meatier than jealousy and strife? That could divide a church? Doesn't seem big enough, does it? But you've got to dig a little bit deeper. You've got to look for the root because that's the fruit and the root was pride. The root was pride and a little bit later on Paul begins to speak about you just don't love one another. Oh, you've got all the bells and whistles. You know, you can, you can preach great sermons. You've got people with prophetic gifts, you've got, you know, tongues, you've got all the gifts, but you haven't got any love. You've got nothing. And so Paul, Paul nails it, I reckon, right here. Right here, it's pride. It's something that rises up within us all at some point. And it could be against another Christian brother and sister. And don't forget, this is what the scene was in Corinth. There were all these great preachers there and leaders and so they were dividing up into camps. And there was pride. I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Or I don't follow Apollos, for goodness sake. He's all Old Testament. Or I don't follow Paul because he's angry all the time, which he never was, but that's, you know. And so I see it um, as pride. Or put in another way, a large dose of humility is needed to properly digest solid spiritual food. And humility is paramount 
to living a life that honours and reflects Christ in every aspect of our lives, which includes our conduct and our attitudes. How easy it is for me, and Father, forgive me, but how easy it is to quote uh, Philippians 2 verse 2, who being in the nature God, did not consider um, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but being, you know, humbled himself and became a servant, forgetting that the previous verses Paul saying, take Christ as an example of humility and be a servant. I don't know, and now, you know, this may sound harsh. I don't know if we've learned that. I, if, if I've really learned that, that I, in following Christ, am to serve him and you. And only you can examine your own heart this morning. As the same as I can only examine my own heart, and we'll do that just in a minute or two as we gather around this table and remember he who humbled himself gave himself for you and I became a servant who even said to his followers I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many John in his first epistle says that's the example that we should follow Christ to live the way he lived. And we can't do that in our own strength. We need the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. John Stott said, pride is your greatest enemy. Humility is your greatest friend. Brothers and sisters in Christ, can I exhort you and, and speak to myself as well, is that you and I would be Christians who walk in all humility. And I believe that as we walk in humility and in love, we will really reflect Christ amongst us. And I don't know about you, and I'm sure you feel exactly the way I do. That's what we want to do. And that's what our Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do as well. To reflect him in all our relationships and attitudes. I think we'll leave it there and we'll pick it up again next week. This is a wonderful um, opportunity we have now to partake um, in this meal together. And um, Jesus, whom I already have said out of sec uh, out of Corinthians chapter 2 showed us how we're to live and to relate to one another out of humility 
and love. I'm not just talking idealistic things here this morning, am I? I'm talking stuff, not a very good word, but spiritual things to the spiritually mature. And in your hearts, you should be saying amen, amen, and amen. And in our hearts, we should be saying, I'm sorry, Father. I have failed you so many ways. Forgive me. And this table gives us that opportunity, doesn't it? That we may come, may eat the bread and drink from the cup, and all of you who are visitors this morning, please join us. Um, <clears throat> it reminds us of the great love of God, reminds us that he still is at work in our lives. <clears throat> we haven't made it yet. We've got a long way to go. We're going to be, <clears throat> at some point, very spiritually immature. Then you'll probably hear the Holy Spirit saying to you, like Robin said to me, you're pathetic. Why don't you grow up? But on the other hand, you're going to say some things and do some things and you'll walk away from that going, I think that's the way Jesus would have done it. And you'll know in your heart of hearts the Lord saying, well done. That was good. That was right. That was perfect. You'll know it. So Father, we're going to now just eat this bread and drink from the cup and we do so, Lord, honouring our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us life, life in all of its fullness. By your grace and Holy Spirit, help us to live a life that so reflects you. And help us, Lord, in all of our relationships here in Blackheath Baptist Church, Help our relationships to be robust and genuine and sincere. But let love be that as well. Robust, genuine, sincere. Help us to be forgiving and kind and patient and non-judgmental. Lord, when you look upon us this morning, let your grace and mercy flow to us. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, <clears throat> even as we take this bread and drink from this cup. For we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love more than life itself.